Today's scripture reading is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. And if you don't have a Bible yet, we'd invite you to pick one up just through those doors on your way out. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to read along with me. Again, Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Dana. Well, again, good morning. Uh, Good to see you all. Um, As we heard from the scripture reading, the message of the gospel is good news. In fact, it is the greatest news of all. It is to be shared and declared. It It is our hope over death. It is the message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. It is the central message of the faith of followers of Jesus. And yet, whether you're a Christian or not, Talking about Jesus is just odd. It can be awkward and difficult, so much so that we resonate with the words of the great prophet, Jim Gaffigan. Take a look. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, I'd like you not to. (laughs) You can say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. You'd be like, easy, freak. (laughs) I keep work at work. (laughs) Have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. Okay, now we, we, we can laugh at that, uh, like all of us can laugh at this, because we know there's truth behind it. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know this speaks to reality. And, and sometimes, for those of us who are Christians, we, we make this more awkward than what it needs to be. Uh, but, but the question is why? Why is talking about Jesus, among Christians even, why is it difficult? Why is it awkward? Why is it sometimes seen as a chore? And, and while there are many reasons I think we could, we could offer to explain this, uh, I would guess, my, my venture, my, my, if I were to put a bet on it, I believe it's because for many Christians, while we may believe that the gospel is good news on Sunday, we struggle to see how and why it is good news on Monday. We, we gather together and we sing the song that, that Eric led us in on grace. I mean, it's beautiful. By grace, we're redeemed and restored, absolutely. But then as we enter into our Monday life, it's, it's almost like we can't remember the lyrics and we don't see how it connects to what we do for the majority of our time. Is it possible that why we struggle to share the gospel as followers of Jesus is because we see that it's good news on Sunday, but we struggle to see how it's good news on Monday. And this is precisely why we've, we've entered into this uh, sermon series, Church for Monday. 
And what we've been doing is asking this question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in all of life? What is needed and necessary for a disciple of Jesus to enter into their Monday life and faithfully and fruitfully follow him? And we've been doing that by looking at these seven marks of discipleship. And, and this morning, we turn to the sixth mark and to, to see that, that a disciple who is ready for Monday is one who shares the gospel, who shares the gospel. There's no way of avoiding this. For those of us who would identify as followers of Jesus, plain and simple, if you are a follower of Jesus, you, you will talk about Jesus. We are to share Jesus with others. And, and, and this is what I want us all to grow in, even if we're not great at it, and I'm not great at it. But what does it mean to follow Jesus and to share him with others? Now, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus or aren't sure where you stand or just have a lot of questions and just faith is kind of a vague concept to you, first of all, we're glad you're here. But my hope for you is that you would hear clearly what the gospel is so that, it, one, you would at least know precisely what it is that you have said no to. Because sometimes the Jesus that we've rejected, the gospel we have turned down, is actually not the true Jesus of Scripture. It's not the true gospel. And so I want to know, I want you to know for certain what it is that you have said no to. But I also hope that you would hear and respond to this news to trust Jesus and to follow him with your whole life. But my hope for all of us, regardless of where we are in the, the faith journey, the faith spectrum, my prayer is that all of us would see that the gospel is good news for all people that the gospel is good news for all people. And th this is the first thing I want us to consider as we turn to our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10, and we're gonna be looking at verses 11 through 17. And, and the first thing I want us to see that, that really that Paul is showing us is this very point, that the gospel is good news for all people. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Paul says this, he says, "'For the scripture says, "'Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame.'" For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. Now, the context here that Paul's uh, writing in, he's, he's referring to, he's speaking about his desire to see his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters come to faith in Jesus. He wants them to see that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who has come to deliver us from sin to restore hope to the, the nation of Israel and to be the blessing to all nations. But, but within this context, Paul is also showing that, that this Jesus, this message of his life, death, and resurrection is a message for all peoples, regardless of their ethnic distinction, their cultural background, their, their nation of origin, their language, or their socioeconomic status. There is nothing that can disqualify you from being a recipient of God's grace through Jesus based on these superficial categories, such as our heritage, our status, and our culture. The only thing that keeps us from the riches of God's grace is our own defiance and disbelief and nothing else. There are some of us who would think that, that our, 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 there's something about our background and our, our heritage that, that actually disqualifies us, but what Paul is wanting us to see is that there's nothing other than our own disbelief and defiance that keeps us from the wholeness of life, life that Jesus offers us. To put it simply, really, the, the main thing standing in your way in knowing Jesus and finding the wholeness of life that he offers is you. The gospel is the good news for all people that says you are no longer defined by, by your shame on one end, nor your fame on the other. 
You're no longer defined by your sin on one end or your success on the other. You're no longer defined by your regrets or your resume. The gospel kind of responds to both of these pitfalls that we fall into. Either the pitfall of feeling the shame of I'm not good enough, or the the pitfall over here of the burden of feeling that I need to be good enough and working to validate myself through what I do. What Paul is saying is that this message is for all people, regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum. That rather than being defined by your shame or your fame, your sin or your success, your regrets or your resume, you are now defined by who Jesus says you are and who he makes you through his life, death, and resurrection. And and really, I mean, who among us, regardless of, of what we believe about God, about Jesus, about the scriptures, who among us hasn't struggled with with these issues, either the the shame of not being good enough or or the burden of feeling that I need to be good enough and working tirelessly to validate our existence. But the beautiful freedom of the gospel that Jesus offers us is the freedom from both of these traps. It is the freedom that says you are no longer defined by who you are, by what you've done, or by what has been done to you, but rather through what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. When this is the gospel we believe, a gospel that is for all people, and that the only thing standing in our way of the wholeness of life that we long for and the forgiveness of sins that we desperately need, when this is the gospel we believe, well, then we can't help but share it. When we understand how good it is, not just for some people, but for all people. You see, Jesus is, not, Jesus is the Lord of all peoples, not, not just obedient people and decent people and respectable people. Jesus is the Lord of all peoples. And so when this is the message of the gospel, when it is good news for all people, well, then we can't help but share it. But it gets even better because as Paul continues on in building this argument for why the gospel should be shared, he shows that the gospel is not just the good news for all people, but it is the good news for all of life. It is the good news for all of life. Look with me at verse 13. I'll explain what I mean. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, at face value, that it sounds like it's referring to this one-time event, this one moment where you call upon the name of the Lord and you are saved. Now, that's absolutely true, but it is so much more than that. Paul has in mind an idea that a follower of Jesus is one who, yes, has initially called upon the name of the Lord, but who is now marked by a daily practice and posture of calling upon the name of the Lord. We, no long, we, we don't move beyond our need to call upon Jesus for, for rescue and for forgiveness and for help, but rather as we trust in him, we realize how desperately we need him every day, which is why if you skip ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's opening greeting to the Corinthian church, he uses the same phrase, those who call upon the name of the Lord, in verse 2, and, and, and interestingly, he, descri- he uses this phrase to describe all believers. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This phrase that Jesus is using, he's using it to describe not just those who, he's not just saying like Christians are those that have called upon the name of the Lord, but he's saying they are those that continue to call upon the name of the Lord. 
And what this means is that the good news of Jesus is not just news that we hear once and then move on. It's not just a pill we take and then we're good, but rather this good news, this message is, is, a, is a banquet table that we return to every day for sustenance and celebration. It is not just something that we hear and respond to for the first time, although it is absolutely that, but now we continue to hear and respond to this gospel message, that it continues to form and shape us, that we have to bring ourselves back to this message that Jesus' life was lived for us, that we couldn't live, that his death was accomplished and that, for our pla- that he died in our place, that his resurrection is the defeat of death that was marked for us. This is a message we must come back to daily. But I think we struggle to see the gospel in this way, which is why I think we as Christians struggle to share this gospel. I think for, for some of us who are followers of Jesus, we think that the gospel has this label on it. Does anybody know what this label is? Like one person knew in first service. It basically means single use only. Single use only. And, and it's usually on medical devices of, of some kind. In fact, it, it was on, uh, earlier this week, I uh, was participating in a, at a health screening. And they did that little finger prick, you know, they use one of these little devices, you know, where they, they prick your finger, they test your blood sugar. And, and it has this little uh, symbol on it that says single use only, which means it should be used and then discarded. It doesn't need to be used anymore. It is no longer necessary. So, and we tend to think that the gospel has this label of single use only on it. That it's something we believe and trust in at one point, but then we move past. It was helpful and necessary at, at a moment, but then we move on to deeper, more important issues of faith and spiritual formation and discipleship and maturity and growth. And I think this is why Christians struggle to share their faith with others. That we believe the gospel is something we, we, we trust in once and then move past. But if, if we don't see how the gospel impacts and, and has relevance and jurisdiction over our Monday life, then we're not going to be people who naturally talk about it in our Monday life. And frankly, there are people in our Monday life who won't care to hear it if it doesn't impact us. And, and this is where, as your pastor, I need to own this. Like, if my, my job is to equip you to enter into your Monday life ready and able to faithfully follow Jesus in all things. And so, and so if you don't have the, this connection of how do the dots of the gospel, how does the message of a homeless Jewish man dying on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago and walking out of a great, defeating death, how does that message speak to my life and how I spend the majority of my time. If I'm not doing that work and helping you see that I'm failing as a pastor in my work. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, do we believe this message in such a way that it impacts our Monday life? Do, do we now see that, that our, our worth, our value, our identity, our validation is accomplished and secured first and foremost through who Jesus says we are and who he makes us through his life, death, and resurrection? Or do we find ourselves trying to validate our existence through how we perform on Monday? You see, when the pressure is off to, to earn your status and your validation and worth through how you perform and how you live, when that pressure is removed because Jesus has declared you righteous and beloved and forgiven and redeemed, that allows you to enter into the places God has sent you on Monday with, with a renewed joy 
It doesn't mean that you now have a reason to be lazy and unproductive, but rather you no longer have to get your status and validation from what you do and how you perform and how successful you are, but rather you now see these places and relationships and spheres of influence to be stewarded for the purposes of loving God and loving your neighbor. When when you know the gospel of grace in such a way that it captivates your heart, you are sent into your Monday life with an ability and a capacity to extend grace towards others who are difficult to work with, difficult to live with, difficult to be in class with. When we understand the grace of God towards us, it's not just motivating and it's not just inspirational, but it reframes our understanding of the relationships God has placed us in. When you know the depth of God's forgiveness towards you, when you know how great your sin is, and yet God has forgiven you in spite of your failures, we now have an increased capacity and capability through the power of the Spirit to forgive others who wrong us. It frames and shapes our relationships in everything we do, especially when you look at the center of our faith. It's centered around a man who used his power and authority to humbly serve and sacrificially give of himself for others. When that is the center of our faith, we now are freed from having to use our power and our skills and abilities to uh, assert them over others. We no longer feel the need and the pressure to have to abuse our power to put others down uh, in order to get ahead. That we no longer have to use our powers and positions and privileges to benefit ourselves at, at the sacrifice and the expense of others, but we now see everything that we have and everything that we are for the sake of loving others well. When we see the gospel not as a single-use-only device, but a take-two and call-upon-my-name-in-the-morning kind of news, this is what empowers us to be a people who share it more naturally, not out of a sense of obligation, but because this message forms and shapes everything about me. I now think about my work and relationships through the message of the gospel that declares me right and forgiven. I am loved and known that my shame has been destroyed and removed from me, and it empowers me to enter into Monday with a new perspective and capability and capacity to love, forgive, and extend grace. When the gospel is seen as good news for all people and for all of life, then it actually isn't a chore or a burden when we say that the gospel is good news to be shared. When we believe that the gospel is good news for all people and that we see how it tangibly speaks to our lives and how it impacts and forms and shapes our Monday life, then it's not a burden or chore when we say that the good news of the gospel must be shared. And this is where Paul takes us as as he kind of continues on uh, in his argument and flow in verses 14 and 15. Paul says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Paul is not trying to guilt his readers or us into sharing the gospel, but rather what he's doing, he's trying to show the simplicity of the necessity of our delivery of the gospel. 
He's just trying to, like, we, we tend to overcomplicate these things, but he's just trying to show the simplicity. Like, it's, it's, we need to share this truth and the necessity of it, that only through hearing and sharing the gospel are people saved, which is why he says in verse 17, <clears throat> excuse me, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, sometimes Christians can think of, of, of the call to share the gospel as, as this kind of like, yeah, it should go without saying. Like, we should share the gospel. Like, we know that. But we too often go without saying it. You, you, see, you see what I did there? Like, we, we so often think of sharing the gospel as like, yeah, yeah, it should go without saying. We should do this. But we too often go without saying it. We assume it. We know it. Yeah, this is something what Christians do. But why is it so difficult? Why does it feel like a chore? And friends, I mean, if we believe that the gospel is good news, if we believe that, that this is good news for all people in all places, then we should see this as something that doesn't feel like a chore, but should be a delight. But I'm the first to admit it. I, I'm not good at this. I mean, it's easy to get up here and talk about the gospel. Like, like, there, there's a sense in which that is easy. It's one thing to be bold in the pulpit. It's another thing to be bold on the patio, you know, of your neighborhood, so to speak. I just thought of that. That's really creative. I'm going to write that down later. But seriously, we, like, it's easy for me to be really passionate about Jesus on this stage and platform. But, but what, what does it look like when I'm speaking to my neighbor across the fence? And so this is where I want to spend the rest of our time in helping all of us lean into this mark of how do we share the gospel how can we grow in this? How can we move to it being a delight and not a duty? And so, so this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. And, and the, <clears throat> the first thing I want to share is that we need to be people who know this story. And, and we've talked about this before in various spaces in Christ's community. But we need to know this story. And so ask yourself this question. Do, do you believe the gospel? Have you come to call upon the name of the Lord? And do you find in your life that you still call upon the name of the Lord? that you need Jesus, that, that the reminder of his grace towards you and his forgiveness towards you, that who he declares you to be is a message that you need, that we need to continue to plumb the depths of this message each and every day, that, that we need to begin our day reminding ourselves that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we understand that despite our failures and our mistakes, we are still fully known, fully loved, and fully forgiven, when that is the narrative of our life, it sends us into our Monday life with a new power and perspective. When we are daily preaching the gospel to ourselves, we, we find ourselves becoming more fluent in it, which equips us to be more able to talk about it in more natural settings. And so let me, let me suggest two resources to you. One has a terribly ugly cover. It's called uh, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. It is a phenomenal little book that helps kind of walk through the reasons why we should rehearse the gospel each and every day. It's a beautiful, and it has these two sections of, of helping us see the gospel through poetic and prose language. It's a beautiful resource I'd highly commend to you. The second is a book called Note to Self, they're really tiny, by Joe Thorne. And it's these page and a half devotionals on how we specifically speak the gospel into the nooks and crannies of our daily lives. Phenomenal resource I would recommend to you as we think about and grow in this practice of preaching the gospel to ourselves so that we might be more fluent in it, so that we might be able to share it more naturally. Another way that I would recommend that we grow in this discipline of knowing the story is if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the mark of building your life on the Bible. 
And we talked about how the, the Bible is kind of summed up in this four chapter narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And, and we also talked about how, how those words can kind of be substituted with, with more neutral language of ought, is, can, and will. And, and knowing this framework, this summary of the biblical narrative is helpful, but what I also find is that it's incredibly useful in engaging in conversation with people who have different viewpoints than you. So l- l- let me illustrate it this way. Imagine, rather than starting a conversation with someone by saying, God created the universe. What if instead you ask the question, do you think the world is the way it ought to be? I mean, I mean, think about how that would engender conversation and dialogue more so than God created the universe. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying or saying that we should never talk about those things, but imagine how the conversation would go if instead of saying God created the universe, you start by asking the question, is the world the way it ought to be? What if instead of, of, of stating and starting with, you're a sinner and you need to repent, which is true, what if you instead ask the question, what do you think is wrong with the world today? What do you think is wrong with the world? What if instead of starting with, you need to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, which is true, what if instead you ask the question, what do you think can be done about the things that plague society, humanity? the world? What if instead of saying, one day Christ will return and be the king who reigns over all things when heaven and earth are made new again, which is true, why, why not start with this, the question, what will happen if we're able to solve the problems of the world? Please hear me, I'm not advocating that we, we discard and throw out all these uh, language about Jesus. We need to get to a point where we definitively say these truths But those conversations, when you are definitively saying who Jesus is, will be way more fruitful and productive if they are preceded by times filled with more questions and dialogue, more listening and asking than telling and explaining. This is one of the ways I think we can know the story better. Now, the second thing I think we need to grow in is we need to know our story. Yes, we need to know the story of the gospel, but how does this story speak to our story? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you know how Jesus has changed your life? Do you know how Jesus impacts your Monday life? Do you have an answer to that question? If you asked me, hey, what do you love, Reed? What do you love about your children? And if I just stared at you blankly, like you would question the integrity of my role as a father, right? Like it should come up naturally. Oh, these are the things I love. In the same way, if you're a follower of Jesus and you struggle to answer that question, how has Jesus changed your life? You should probably ask yourself the question, is it Jesus that I'm following? Or, or perhaps at least just ask the question, gosh, maybe I've been so far removed from the practice and the posture of calling upon the name of Jesus, trusting in the gospel each and every day, preaching it to myself. Perhaps I've been so far removed that I don't even know how to talk about this. And so I would encourage you, dialogue with, with your faith community, with your community group, or, or those that you trust, and ask this question, how has Jesus changed my life? And then talk about it. But if you do have an answer to this question, share it. Share what you learn on Sunday in your Monday life. And and it doesn't have to be, hear hear me, I know it's so easy for me to say that as the preacher. It doesn't have to be this full gospel presentation every single time you have a conversation with someone at work or at school or in your neighborhood. 
You know, and, and neither do we have to hijack the conversation and like Jesus juke people and force him in. You know, when someone says like, hey, did you save that quarterly earnings report last week? Well, no, but let me tell you how you can be saved without earning anything. Like you don't need to force the, like, you don't have to force it into the conversation and hijack natural, natural dialogue. But rather, how do you naturally bring up your church life that you're a part of? Hey, this weekend, as we were at our community group, we were talking about this, like, you don't need to find a way to get the gospel presentation in its entirety into every conversation. But instead, bring up what is so naturally a part of your life. Here, let me give you an example. My guess is that tomorrow, or at some point this week, you're inevitably going to have a conversation with someone in your Monday life, in your school, your home, your place of work, and it's going to be about what frustrates you, what stresses you out, what annoys you, what, what uh, causes difficulty and, and, and heartache um, as a result of your Monday life. And what I would say is in that moment, ask this person that you're talking to, ask them, hey, what do you do? How do you handle the stress and the difficulties of your Monday life? And they'll probably give a response. And if they're a good, polite Midwesterner, they'll probably reciprocate that and say, well, what do you do? And this is a great time to just talk about prayer. Say, well, and, and here's what you could say, something to this effect. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you're a religious person, but I, I have found that prayer to be a really helpful practice for me. It's an opportunity for me to kind of slow down and just to ask God to show me if I'm complicit in the problem that's causing frustration. You know, am I causing some of these issues or tensions? It's an opportunity for me to own my mistakes and reflect. But it's also a chance for me to ask God to give me wisdom and sometimes he imparts things. He'll bring to mind uh, brilliant things that my brilliant pastor has said to me on a Sunday morning. No, you don't have to say that part. Um, please don't. Uh, but, but it may be a chance for you. Like, there are things that God has shared through his word, and it brings up and how it speaks to and applies to the situation. And then just stop there. And now there's a seed planted. This person kind of now has an understanding of, of how you operate, how you see the world. It's a way of knowing your story and bringing it into Monday in a very natural, casual way instead of hijacking the conversation. So we need to know our story. We need to know the story. We need to know our story. And then lastly, we need to know other stories. You see, when we know the fears and the joys and the anxieties and the hopes, the strengths and the weaknesses of our friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors, we're able to more intentionally tailor fit the gospel to their life. Yes, you, you can share the gospel in just a generic sense, and it can bear fruit, absolutely. But when we know the unique ways in which people struggle with, with their own brokenness and despair, how shame cripples them in various ways, the fears that they have, we're able to speak the gospel in very applicable, tangible ways. But we can't do this without listening well. We need to be careful, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to be careful that we don't see our non-believing friends and neighbors as people to be won through conversion or people to be defeated in debate. But rather, we need to see them as people to be loved and known and heard as we listen to them and as we share the good news of Jesus. And I think one very tangible way we can do this the way we can know the stories of others is by using our tables. As we heard from Sean and Ruth Lee, we, we all have the capability of stewarding our homes, stewarding our, our offices, stewarding the, the lunchroom cafeteria table as a conduit of knowing people and knowing their stories, listening to them, 
so that we might be able to redeem a very ordinary space and place so that people might be known and heard and loved. I'm a firm believer that one of the most effective ways to bring people to the Lord's table, so to speak, is to bring them through your dining room table. There's a lost art. And and again, I I would encourage you to to be be a part of our Practicing Hospitality event as we think about how do we steward these spaces to love our neighbors well, that they might be known and be known by the one who's created them. So these are all just a few small ways we can kind of begin to think about how we grow in this mark of sharing the gospel. But, But let me offer one last action step for us. Uh, if you came in, you probably saw a response card on, on your seat, and you might be sitting on it right now. Um, but what I would suggest is, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you consider, would you write down the name of someone that you can just either, just begin praying for? Not praying with necessarily, but just how can you begin praying for them? Or, or maybe it's someone you, you want to begin inviting into your life in some way. Maybe it's inviting them over to your home, having lunch with them during the week inviting them to be a part of of whatever you have going on in your life. Who's someone you can begin praying for, inviting, and maybe begin speaking to? Who is someone you can begin dialogue with or asking these questions that might lead to further conversations about faith? But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not off the hook, I, I I want to encourage you as well to respond. If you have questions about Jesus, if, if you have doubts and you're wrestling with them, I hope you don't leave this place without having voiced those and shared them with someone. Would you be willing to write your name down on that card, put your contact info in there, put it in the offering box. We would love to dialogue with you and respond to you, follow up with you. We want to hear your questions, your objections. We want to share the good news of Jesus with you. If you have come to trust in Jesus, even now, would you fill that out so that we might come alongside you, know you, and be known by you as we continue on this journey together. Because my guess, my guess is that some of you today might believe that that the church is a nice place, but it's it's not a nice place for you. That it's it's for good people and not people like you. That you might be thinking the gospel, sure, it's good news, but but it's not good news for someone like me. You might think that Jesus is is Lord and that's wonderful for you, Reed, and all those people that are nice, but, but Jesus is not the Lord for me. And perhaps you've come to believe that. Because either you have told yourself a lie or you have been told this lie that Jesus doesn't work with damaged goods. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Some of you have allowed your shame and guilt to be the barrier that has stood before you and Jesus. You say, yeah, I know Jesus can forgive, but you don't know what I have done or what's been done to me, Reed. You have no idea. And you're right, I don't. I have no idea. But what I do know, friend, is that the good news of the gospel says that your ability to ruin and screw up your life does not have a greater power over Jesus' ability to redeem and restore your life. Amen? That's that's when you say amen, people. Like, this this is the message of the gospel, that, that as the hymn writer says, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. It's this gospel that allows us to see our shame as not the defining quality of who we are, that we will no longer be defined by what we've done or what has been done to us, but we are declared righteous, forgiven, beloved, known, and welcomed in through what Christ has done on our behalf. When this is the gospel we believe, when this good news is for all people and for all of life, we can't help but share this news. 
And so may we be a people who, who believe this truth, who declare it on Sunday so that it may resound in every part of our life on Monday. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you because you have first come to us. Lord, we thank you that in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of the fact that we have gone after so many false gods to find our joy, our identity, and validation, Lord, you stand still ready and able to forgive and welcome us in. Lord, I ask for your spirit now to break through the barriers that stand in our way of trusting in you and knowing you. Lord, may we see that through Christ Jesus, our shame, our guilt, and sin was crucified and nailed to the cross along with him so that we would bear it no more. And Lord, may we be a people who are marked by this truth in such a way that we, we cannot help but speak it to ourselves each and every day as we call upon the name of the Lord. And may we be a people who are able and, and so joyful in sharing it, Lord, with those around us. I pray for those who are not even in this room, Lord, that through the work of your church scattered, that you would make new sons and daughters brought into the family of God through the work of your people. May we be captivated by this gospel and may it resound in all of life. And may we celebrate a growing family of new brothers and sisters who know you and trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.
Isn't he wonderful? What a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is pray this aloud together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wanderings, deeper than all our sin. Forgive our careless attitudes toward your purposes and refusal to relieve the suffering of others, our envy of those who have more than we have, our obsession with creating a life of constant pleasure our indifference to the treasures of heaven, our neglect of the wise and gracious law. Help us to change our way of life so that we may desire what is good, love what you love, and do what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
go in that peace. Amen.